Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 for our scripture reading today. So as you're opening your Bibles, we do also, um, I do also want to make you aware of our Minister of the Month today um, is Justin Slocum, so he's right there. <laughs> look at, um, but I'm going to read that right now. Our Minister of the Month is Justin Slocum. Justin is a regular part of our worship team ministry. He regularly leads us in worship through singing, playing guitar, and bass. Justin also is the treasurer at Hope. He spends many hours every week serving the Lord by working on the church's finances. Thank you, Justin, for your willingness to spend many nights out in meetings, rehearsals, and in the office paying the church's bills. God is using you for his glory. So, thank you, Justin. So, and then our scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, in darkness and gloom, in a tempest, in the sound of a trumpet, in a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages may be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning with a quote from the poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. That quote's going to show up on your screen here in a second. Perhaps more than a second. It is there. All right. It's not there. All right. Well, there we go. <laughs> okay. So the quote is, it's not the destination, it's the journey. How many of you have heard that before? 
Okay? So that's uh, something that Ralph Waldo Emerson was famous for saying. And, and there are some things that I definitely like about this particular quote. I like the idea that we should take more joy in the journey of our lives. Uh, sometimes I, I can get so focused on my destination that I lose the sense of joy throughout the journey and the process. I take no joy in the journey of reaching those particular goals. But some goals, they do take a long time to reach, right? And so if I tell myself that I can only have joy after I reach my goals, that is a long time to put off joy in my life. And that's not good. I should take joy in the journey each day. I should take joy not only when I finally reach my destination, but I should have joy in the journey along the way. So, in another way, however, I, I do not like this quote in one particular way. I, I don't like it because it suggests that the destination is unimportant. I think that one of the players from my favorite football team, the Minnesota Vikings, proved that the destination is always important. In a game between the Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers in 1964, Jim Marshall, a defensive lineman, picked up a fumble that was on the ground and he started to run for the end zone. Now, linemen are the biggest players on the field, so they are not particularly fast. So it took him a long time to make it to the end zone, but when he did, he was out of breath, but he was so excited by what he had done that he took that football and he threw it high in the air to celebrate what he had accomplished for his team. He celebrated the touchdown that he had scored. There was just one problem. He had run to the wrong end zone. He had gone to the wrong destination. Now, he was expecting all the players from his team to mob him in celebration. He was looking forward to that celebration with his teammates. But the only player who congratulated him was one of the 49ers, who thanked Jim Marshall for scoring points for his team. Whoops. Jim Marshall discovered that day that the right destination is very important. This morning, I want to remind you that in Christianity, the right destination is everything. You need to run to the right finish line. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the author says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are all in a race, but the race that we are running needs to be run to the right finish line. But where is that right finish line, that right destination that we should run toward? I'd like for us to read today from the end of Hebrews chapter 12 and see where is the wrong finish line and where is the right finish line as we run the race of the Christian life. First of all, we will see that the wrong finish line for you is a place of fear. As we think about running to the wrong finish line, let's remember that the author of Hebrews is writing to a bunch of Hebrew Christians who were tempted to fall away from their faith in Jesus and to return to their Jewish faith. They wanted to return to what we Christians call the Old Covenant, the old agreement between God and his people Israel, which meant following all of God's law in the Old Testament. The readers of 
Hebrews thought that this was a good finish line to run toward. But beginning in verse 18, the author reminds his readers that the old covenant law is not what they are running toward. He says to them, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. So what is the author describing here? He is writing about a mountain on earth, Mount Sinai, the place where God gave his law to Moses to pass on to the people of Israel. Now notice what came with the giving of the law. Fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, or storm. Do any of these things sound like good things to you? No. All of these things sound like physical symbols of the might and the power and the holiness of God. And all of these symbols terrified the people at the mountain of Mount Sinai. The terror continued in verse 19, where the author reminded his readers that the sound of God's voice when he gave the law at Mount Sinai was like a trumpet blasting the loudest trumpet you could possibly imagine. That's what God's voice sounded like. The words of God were so terrifying to the people that they begged Moses, make it stop. They said, Moses, you go up to the top of the mountain and talk with God. We'll stay down here at the base of the mountain and you deal with God. We're too afraid to approach him. And so the people were afraid that God was going to kill them at any moment. They knew that God's order, according to verse 20, was that if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. If even animals, which had no clue what was happening at Mount Sinai that day, if even they were going to die if they touched the mountain, then what would happen to people who knew God's order very well? they too would die. And so God's people at Mount Sinai experienced great fear that day as God gave his people the law. Even Moses, the leader and deliverer of Israel, the best man in Israel, what was he feeling? We see in verse 21 that Moses trembled with fear when God gave the law. And so the people of Israel got the message loud and clear when God delivered the law at Mount Sinai. If you don't take God and his law seriously, you will be destroyed. And so they were naturally afraid. The people knew that God was holy, and that they knew also that they were not holy. And so they were telling themselves, we've got to keep our distance from God. We've got to stay off the mountain. We've got to steer clear of this God. There was a barrier between them and God, and that barrier was their sin. They knew that they could not even touch the mountain where God was speaking to Moses. God was far too holy for them to get close to. And so the people shook with fear. So here's the point that the author of Hebrews is making. Do you really want to go back there? Do you want to go back to that mountain where the people were terrified of God? 
Is that what you are running toward? Is that what you want? If you want to try to obey all of God's law as a Jew, that is a terrifying place to be. You cannot satisfy all of God's righteous requirements. You might be able to do better at obeying some of God's law than another person. You might be able to do that. But God's standard is not if you are better than other people. God's standard instead is if you are as righteous as God. God does not grade on the curve. God instead will judge if you reach His standard of righteousness. And none of us can ever meet that standard. So how should we feel if we make obedience to all of God's law our finish line in life? If we make that our goal, we should feel afraid. Very afraid. We should feel just as afraid as the people at Mount Sinai on the day that God gave the law to Israel. Obeying all of God's law is completely unattainable for us. So if obedience to all of God's law in an effort to please God is your finish line, you are running in vain. You will never make it to the finish line. You are running toward an inaccessible and a distant God if obedience to all of God's law is your finish line. And that is a scary thing. In my house, I have a piece of exercise equipment that some of you also have. It is a treadmill. Now, during the summer months, my treadmill is something that I use to hang my clothes on. It is a very expensive clothes hanger. I'd rather be outside exercising than inside, so I don't really use it in the summertime. But during the winter months, I will get on my treadmill occasionally, and I will walk for several minutes. And at the end of my walk, my treadmill will tell me, here's how many miles you walked today. But here's the thing that I've noticed about walking on a treadmill. No matter how many miles the treadmill says that I have gone, when I get off that machine, I get off in exactly the same place that I started. I have literally gotten nowhere while I walked on that machine. Some people think that they can please God, a holy God, by their good works. They will expend all kinds of effort and energy, just like you can see all the calories that you supposedly burned on your treadmill. But you know what? They're not getting anywhere. They think that by their good works and their obedience to the law of God that they will make it to the finish line of heaven, the place where God lives. But do you know what such people have done? They have been walking on a treadmill. They have not gotten any closer to God than when they started. They've gotten nowhere. They are no closer to God and His holiness than when they started. For God is far more holy than these people think he is. And they are far more sinful than they think that they are. The demands of God's law are completely unattainable for us. So don't make obedience to God's law your finish line. 
You cannot do it. You will be very afraid if you are standing before God on Judgment Day and the only thing that you have to show for your life is your good works and your attempts to obey all of God's law. So the wrong finish line for you is a place of fear. But the right finish line for you is a place of joy. Trying to become right with God by obeying his law is nothing but a treadmill. You don't get anywhere. It gets you no closer to the holy God. There is still a barrier between you and God of your sin. So the wrong finish line for you to run to is the old law covenant represented by Mount Sinai, where God gave the law to Moses and to Israel. So what is the right finish line? It is represented by a different mountain according to verse 22. And that mountain is Mount Zion. We read there, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Now the reader here is not talking about Mount Zion that's here on earth, that's in the actual Jerusalem in Israel. He's not talking about that Mount Zion. He is talking instead about heaven. He is talking about the new Jerusalem, which is heaven itself. And so our finish line that we are running to is heaven. That's where we want to go. That is our destination. And it matters very much that we make it there. I want you to notice the the difference in the atmospheres between the two different mountains described in Hebrews 12. We have seen that the atmosphere at Mount Sinai was an atmosphere of total fear. The people saw that God was holy, and they saw that they were separated from him by a barrier. And so they were rightly afraid. But what was the atmosphere, what is the atmosphere, rather, in Mount Zion in heaven? It is an atmosphere instead of extraordinary joy. That's what awaits those who go to heaven. This is the heavenly Jerusalem, according to verse 22. It is the city of the living God. So everyone who lives in that city is completely safe. There is no pain in heaven because God protects his people from all that would harm them. There will be no pain there. And because God is eternal, the city where he lives with his people is also eternal. Let's read together out loud from Psalm 125 and verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Did you catch the last word in that verse? Forever. We are going to live with God forever on Mount Zion in heaven. How great is that? And in one sense, we Christians are already living in the heavenly places. Verse 21 says, you have come to Mount Zion. This is past tense. We live out our lives on this earth as Christians in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us, 
and to live in the presence of God, that's heaven. Of course, we have not yet fully experienced heaven. We have to get to that place one day after we die. But we know that heaven is a place that is full of joy. It is a place where innumerable angels are in festal gathering. Now, the word festal means the celebration of a festival. It's a feast of joy, like we might experience at Thanksgiving or Christmas or at Easter. It's a place with good food, a place with many family and friends, a place of tremendous joy. Everything is joyful in heaven. There is no more fear like there was at Mount Sinai. And you might ask yourself, well, why is there such a change? Why is there such a change between what's going on at Mount Sinai on earth and Mount Zion in heaven? In one sense, nothing has changed about God. The God of the old covenant was holy, and the God of the new covenant is also holy. Look at verse 23, which says, We have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So how is God described in verse 23 on Mount Zion? He's described as the judge of all. God is still completely holy, even in heaven. God takes his holiness very seriously. So then how can we as sinners get close to the holy God? How can the barrier of our sin be removed and knocked down? It is removed because God meets his righteous standard in his Son, Jesus Christ. And the perfect Jesus died in our place on the cross for our sins. What happens to us if we trust that Christ died in our place? Verse 23 says that we are made perfect. At the cross, we make a trade with Jesus. We give to Jesus all of our sin. And what does Jesus give back to us? He gives to us all of his righteousness. Is that a good trade for us or what? It's an incredible trade for us to give to him our sin and to return from Christ. We get his righteousness. So when God looks at you now as a Christian... What does he see? He sees his son. He sees Jesus in all of his perfect righteousness. That's what he sees when he looks at you. There is then no barrier between you and God because of your sin. Jesus has removed that barrier of your sin by dying for it on the cross. And because he has removed that barrier... Not only have you been made perfect, you have also become a beloved child of God. Verse 23 says that you are now part of the assembly of the firstborn. You are so loved that God has adopted you into his family. That's the assembly that gathers before him, those who are his children. Is that a reason for joy today? 
that you are the adopted child of God. It is. So yes, our God is still holy. He always will be holy and righteous. But now I do not have to be afraid of God as my holy judge. I can rejoice because Christ's sacrifice for my sin has made me righteous and made me a child of God. We read in verse 24 that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Because of Jesus, there is no more barrier between me and God. We now have open access to God because Christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day and now rules the world from heaven. The blood of Jesus, we read in verse 24, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember the story from the book of Genesis. Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. And so his blood was spilled on the ground. And Abel's blood that was spilled on the ground cried out to God for justice. That's what his blood was doing. But Jesus... When he spilled his blood on the ground at the cross, his blood cried out for mercy. His blood cried out that we might receive mercy and forgiveness from God. That's the difference between Christ's blood and Abel's blood. So the voice from Mount Zion then does not issue threats of judgment like the voice from Mount Sinai did. Instead, gives to us a gracious invitation It says, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you will be forgiven. Have you trusted that Christ died for you? If not, I would urge you to do so today, to trust that Christ died in your place for your sin, so that you might experience forgiveness. Once you trust in Jesus... You no longer need to be afraid of the judgment of God. Instead, you can have the joy of forgiveness and open access to your heavenly Father loves you very much. Well, the right finish line for you is not only a place of joy, it is also a place of grateful worship. The writer of Hebrews 12 closes the chapter with one final warning to his readers. He begins in verse 25 by saying that, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. He is saying to his readers, Listen! Listen to God! Don't return to Judaism. Don't return to the Old Covenant law as a way to be right with God. That is the wrong finish line. The people were judged when they rejected God's warning to them at Mount Sinai, according to verse 25. So how will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? How will we escape if we reject the forgiveness that is offered to us in Jesus? Listen, the author says. The author then quotes from Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6. In verse 26, he talks about a future shaking of the earth. God shook the earth at Mount Sinai with words of judgment. When Jesus comes to earth at his second coming, 
the earth will shake again. It will shake with the judgment of God. Those who reject the salvation that Jesus offers, they will be judged. But those who trust that Jesus died for their sin, they will be saved. We will not be shaken within his church. Instead, we will be safe in Jesus. But we will only be safe and unshaken if we listen to the warning that we need to run to Jesus and toward the finish line of heaven. Some of you might remember what happened in January of 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger. The shuttle exploded 73 seconds into its flight, and it killed all seven astronauts aboard. But you might not know that an engineer by the name of Bob Ebeling had warned NASA not to launch the space shuttle that day, a January day, because it had been unusually cold in Florida the night before. The temperature had fallen to 18 degrees on the night before the shuttle was to launch. And so Bob Ebeling knew that the cold weather would stiffen the rubber O-ring seals that prevent burning rocket fuel from leaking out of booster joints. And if those seals failed, the shuttle would blow up. And so Bob Ebeling warned NASA, but he failed to convince them to stop the flight. He failed to convince them to wait until warmer weather. And when he saw the Challenger explode, Bob Evelyn started to tremble. And then he wept loudly. He had warned NASA, but nobody listened. And seven people died as a result. See, church, listen to the warning of the Bible. God's judgment will come for all when Christ returns to earth. And there is only one way to escape God's judgment, believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins and then repenting of those sins. But what happens for us if we trust that Christ died for us and then we repent? You can rejoice. You can rejoice in the great gift of salvation that God has given to you. Listen to verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. There is one thing that ultimately cannot be shaken, God's kingdom that is why we run to the finish line of God's kingdom in heaven. And while we run toward heaven, we should be full of gratitude and worship. We are full of joy for what Jesus has done for us in forgiving our sins and breaking down the barrier between us and God. We are now safe, protected by Jesus. We cannot be shaken by any word of judgment. But we are still in awe of our holy God as we worship Him. We know that the words of verse 29 are still true. Our God is a consuming fire. 
God destroys all who are opposed to him. That was true in the Old Covenant, and that is true in the New Covenant. That has not changed, and it will never change. But now, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can draw near to God as our Heavenly Father. What a reason we have then for joy. What a reason for grateful worship. We are safe. We are saved. We cannot be shaken. Instead, we will live safely and joyfully with God for all eternity. We will rejoice and worship in His presence all of our days. And we will never lose our sense of awe at the holiness of God. Nor will we lose our sense of awe that the holy God Love sinners like us. Church, you have been warned today. Listen, do not run to the wrong finish line. Your destination matters, and it matters for all eternity. Don't run to the old covenant law with the expectation that you can obey all of it and make yourself right with God. You cannot do it. Your goodness will never be good enough for God. You need to run to the right finish line, the finish line of Jesus and heaven. Only Jesus could completely fulfill and obey all of God's law. Only Jesus can forgive your sin and give you access to heaven and your heavenly Father. So run to Jesus. Run toward heaven. Receive the gift of forgiveness that God offers to you in His Son. Heaven is a place without fear of God's judgment. It's a place of extraordinary joy and worship in the presence of God. Let's run there together. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today that you do not want us to be afraid. We thank you that instead you want to give us great joy, joy that is found for those who have arrived in heaven, for those who have received Christ as their gift, who have received Jesus as the one who has forgiven them. And so I pray that all of us would seek the joy that is found in you and would seek the joy that is found in heaven. May we run there, and may we not run to a place that cannot satisfy. In your name we pray.